0: Hello, my friends. Welcome. I hope you're well. Thank you for joining me. I have been sitting in my forest in this place that, it becomes more clear to me day by day, is not what it seems. And yet it is actually what it seemed all along. And yet it's completely different. And somehow it doesn't really matter, because it doesn't change what my job here is. It's to tell stories, I think. To share the little knowledge that I have. Not that it's more than or better than any wisdom you've already got. Because that is how we keep growing, I think. I think. There is a next step. There is a next stage of the journey. There is more to the story. Mine. Yours. The world's. But we don't know what it is. I don't think we're supposed to. We're writing it as we speak, and we do not have a blueprint for it. Let us find joy in that for what can be more exciting than a story no one knows the ending to. I thought about my own story this week. I head into winter, and I know it is the last winter in my forest, because whether or not I continue to tell you stories, which I think I will, probably, for some time, whether or not I continue, it will not be here. This forest gets 100 episodes. That is how I work. Those are how my seasons turn in my mind. The first 100 episodes, I was on a journey to find home. In these new 100s, I have found it and I am protecting it. If there are to be more stories after these 100, I will change again, I'm certain and I will be somewhere else, most likely. So, I am heading into my final winter in this forest. That I know for certain. It is time to think about where this story is going. But the thing is, and I haven't deceived you, not ever, not about this anyway, that I do not know. I had an idea last time. This time, I am not so sure. I wanted to see where I am pulled, what I am compelled to do. I asked my tarot cards for help. I shuffled, shuffled, shuffled my cards and asked them, Where is this story going? Where am I going? Where will this story end? My little forest self story. Where is it going? How I rejoiced when I saw it. Card number one in the deck. Proud and powerful and independent and strong. It is the magician. My favorite. He is of Mercury, too. Just like me, I always felt a keen connection to Mercury. I may not have told you, but Mercury is the planet I was born under. And I delight in its adaptability. How it thrives in change. How it prizes knowledge and wisdom. And most importantly, that it prizes communication. Mercury is the messenger. I want to be a messenger. What greater calling than sharing ideas, words, thoughts? For me, no greater calling. But I'm being a little too flowery here. The point is, I should like to be more like the magician. Perhaps I am. Humility keeps me from declaring it, but pride makes me wonder. So this is where the story is going. Power, magic, resourcefulness, manifestation. Isn't that what storytelling is, anyhow? I'm not entirely certain I understand, other than perhaps that I can create whatever ending I desire. Sure, I know I have that power. In thirty episodes, for after thirty we shall have reached the end of another hundred, will I be what I admire most? Or do I already have the power to... Oh, it's silly to go on and on about this. I'm cheered by the card I drew. That is enough for now. Power and influence was my poison last season. This season, I think I will avoid it. Sharing and communicating is different than ruling or commanding. And isn't that a fantastic place to start our story this week? For I have a story about a tyrant king... A powerful kingdom, and a creature from another world. How many times have I told this story before? There was once a king who ruled over a mighty kingdom. It was the strongest nation in the world, at least as far as it was concerned. And though the king was wealthy and his castle was vast and full of treasure, and though he had conquered many, many places with many, many people who were now all under his greedy thumb, his people suffered. Only so that his dream of even further conquest, of winning more and more lands until there were none left to win, could be fulfilled. This is why he taxed them so heavily. This is why they labored with calloused hands and aching backs. This is why their families had only stale bread for supper. So that one man could achieve whatever it was he thought he was achieving, but was in fact stealing. This is the thing about tyrants... They think they are magicians. They think that they are creating something. Transforming something. Making progress. But they are just stealing. I've told this story before. I'll tell this story again. But, one day, as the king and his queen and the little princes and princesses and his courtiers sat to dinner one evening, the gate was opened for a stranger. A strange stranger, who claimed they had a message for the king, a very important message. It must be told directly. It is of dire importance and it comes from one much more powerful than him. The king received word of the visitor, and at the notion that there was someone, anyone out there in the world more powerful than him, his blood began to boil. Bring in the messenger. The room fell silent as the doors to the hall opened, and in walked a figure. They wore a cloak, and the cloak seemed to shroud a huge figure, very tall, very large, because of some great mound they carried on their shoulders or back. Perhaps a great warrior, bent and broken from years of war. Perhaps a giant from a distant land, unrefined and hulking. Who is the king? they asked in a surprisingly gentle voice. A gasp from the entire room. How did they not know? The king rose to his feet and said nothing. The figure cast off their cloak, and of all surprises, this was the most unexpected. Very, very tall indeed but graceful and soft under those robes, with upright and proud posture. The mound on their back stretched and expanded to two enormous white wings. They wore white silk robes, and, more offensive than anything, they sported a simple silver crown and carried a silver scepter. Their smile was almost frightening in how gentle, how loving, how kind it was. It was unexpected. It was strange. The directness with which this character stared into the king's eyes was shocking. I come with a message for you, O Great King. They said, the title they bequeathed there clearly in mockery. No one dared say anything. The figure looked around at the handful of nobles in the room, ensuring that they had each and every one's attention. You have displeased one who holds much more power than even you, and so I give you a warning. message from the king said steel in his eyes his hands trembling I just told you the creature said appearing to be perplexed but still maintaining that sweet smile from beyond heresy blasphemy the king roared kicking the stone table he and his family sat at, raging like a beast. It is a deception from one of our enemies, I am certain of it. The creature's brow furrowed in confusion, but it appeared like sorrow. Their wings twitched a little, one of them ruffling a bit so that a feather fell loose. They seemed so real. Yet the king insisted they were not, and the king was the highest power here. I will not hear words of divinity from this charlatan, this false angel, he cried out. A false angel, the creature said, tilting their head to the side, their eyes now downcast and sad. What an open book they seemed to be for someone accused of deception, at any rate. Ah, I am sad to see that you will not change your ways. I am sad to see that you will not restore joy to the world in a way that one as powerful as you might be able to. I am sad. And indeed, Tears fell from what appeared to be golden eyes. Golden eyes. Like eyes I haven't seen in a very, very long time. The king summoned his guards to accost the messenger. And they did. The angel, if we choose to call them that, which, why don't we, just to save time. The angel did not resist at all. Though tears fell from their face, they still smiled sweetly, and they were easily taken to a dark, cold, damp dungeon, there to stay for the rest of their life. The king stormed out of the hall. The queen was in tears at the outburst. The courtiers whispered and muttered and slowly scattered. But one of the little princes, just a little child, still untouched by his father's greed, ran to the place where the angel had been and collected the feather. It was very large and very soft. The child smiled and slipped it into his doublet and then ran off to play with his brothers and sisters. The king would visit the angel in the dungeon again soon, he knew, after he'd composed himself. He'd demand answers. The guards would torture them today, and the next day, and the next day, until he would find out by what black magic it was, or mechanics, or whatever it must be, that made those wings move so distinctly like a bird's. He'd find out what made those eyes appear so golden. He'd find what land produced such thieves and rabble-rousers as this that were so unnaturally tall. He would find his answers, and he would have satisfaction. In this land, he was king, and it was by divine right, and he had earned it besides, and he would not relinquish it, and anyone who told him otherwise would pay, pay, pay. But not tonight. Tonight, there would be a banquet, held in his honor, for the latest war he'd won. Yes, many of his people had died, but now they had another country full of people to become an even bigger army, and make even more gold and whatever on earth it was they wanted to do. Some kings and princes and queens and dukes and duchesses and whoever and whatever had bent their knee to the new king. Some had not, and he had destroyed them, but the ones who would celebrate his rule would be given a modicum of land and power, nothing to a great king such as he, but much more than any other peasant subject might hope for. While the people in the town and the countrysides fought their own hunger and cold and illness, the people in the palace tonight were warm and delighted and presented with an enormous feast. Far more food than they would ever need. There was a veritable menagerie of cooked beasts and birds and fish, fruits every color of the rainbow, from every land that the hungry king had ever conquered. Sweet so decadent they looked as sinful as they tasted. Oh, I love to describe a good feast, I admit. How great and how terrible is a feast such as this to behold and participate in. Not that anyone here knew it. Laughter and music and cheer rang through the halls. The little princes and princesses laughed as they played with the hounds. The queen and her ladies-in-waiting giggled at the antics of boorish knights. The king was silent and somber, however. And when he heard, approaching, echoing through the stone halls, that terrible song once more, his heart felt as though it dropped down, down, down through his chest through his throne through the floor all the way down to the cellar itself The creature was much changed in appearance from what they'd endured in the dungeon. Blood stained their beautiful white wings. One of their golden eyes was bruised and swollen shut. Their lip was bleeding. Their white silk robes were stained gray and black and singed with the burning prods the guards had used against that delicate, soft skin. Yet still they smiled. The little princes and princesses wept at the sight. The king rose to his feet and demanded to know how the infernal creature had escaped. I may take injury. I may bleed. I may bruise. But I cannot be contained, they said, smiling even more sweetly than when they'd first arrived today. You would do well to heed my words, great king. You are being watched. You are being seen. You are being assessed. And you are failing. Every ex-king and queen and duke and duchess in attendance kept their heads low, for the words reached some kind of truth that affrighted them. Even the new queen, his bride, trembled as she wrapped her arms around the little princes and princesses, hiding their eyes from the dreadful sight of the tortured angel. But the king would not relent, throwing a goblet of wine at the creature, who did not flinch or falter, He roared for his guards once again and demanded they were this time locked up in a high cage to be tortured, a whirligig device, to be suspended high above the castle walls where they would be left to the elements, to the hungry vultures, the ravens, the wasps, and the mocks and jeers of those down below. The guards hesitated, for they saw the blood coming from the wings. They saw the golden eyes, they saw the shining crown and the scepter, and they were not so sure what it was they were doing now, but they acquiesced, and the angel did not flinch or fight, they just smiled softly. As they were taken from the hall, they even laughed gently. The room was in silence until the king clapped his hands and bellowed at everyone to make merry once more. They tried, truly they did, but this feeling of complicit atrocity was very difficult to push down, 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 and away. They managed. But one of the little princesses saw one of the dogs running away with something. Something white, something large in its jaws. A white feather, pure, large, shimmering. She smiled and took it, and hid it in a pocket in her skirts, and went on playing. The king let several days go by. Perhaps the creature would survive, perhaps they wouldn't but he could not bring himself to release them. He would never admit it, but he feared them. He feared their smile. He feared their wings. Most of all, he feared the way they did not fear him one bit. A grand ball was to be held, because I've already done a banquet, and you know how much I love banquets. So now I must have a ball, because I simply must. All the preparations had been made months in advance. A celebration, another gathering, all the nobles, all the courtiers, everyone under the king's rule now. Another opportunity to pledge their loyalty, to give tribute, to pretend to be joyous about relinquishing power to a ruler. Never mind, and do not pity them. For these were the lucky ones, indeed, and I think they knew it. What do you think happens next? Perhaps an hour or two into the festivities? A song from far away, growing closer and closer.
1: made out of tears is blood and bone Oh so heed my warning that comes from beyond Ah return what you've taken before you return to tears blood and bone
0: the king screamed Bellowed, raged as he heard it, and in through the open doors, passing shaking guards and trembling guests in their fine clothes, was the angel. One of their ankles was twisted round, and they dragged it behind them as they staggered in, somehow still with head tall and spine straight. Their wrists were bloody and raw from being manacled, though no longer. Blood dripped down from their head, where the silver crown had met steel bars and been pressed cruelly against bone. The wings, oh, those beautiful wings were twisted, bent, broken. The little princes and princesses wept again to see it, the queen screamed and fainted. The king looked into those golden eyes, or at least the one of them he could see for not being obscured by blood and gore and bruises, and despite how sunken in their sockets they now appeared. How much more dreadful and terrible this creature seemed now when they smiled! How unnatural, how awful that sweet, gentle, Loving smile. It is not yours, O oh great king, the creature began, their voice still clear as crystal, despite having no water nor food for days in the whirligig. None of it is yours. You must return what you've taken. You must open your doors. You must. Give it all back. The creature, with difficulty but apparently without pain, spread their wings as wide as they could, and they spanned as wide as three men. The celebrants covered their mouths in shock and quickly backed away as they saw the immense, bloody, broken things. You must give it all back. They said, still gentle, still loving. One of the queens from a distant land who had relinquished her autonomy to the hungry king, perhaps mistakenly thinking she was saving her people, immediately fell to the ground. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will. She uttered over and over again, weeping. Another, a lord in fine red velvet, known for his own selfish decadence himself, a lover of poetry and beauty, screwed his face up in agony and removed his outrageous and expensive hat, his hands seeming to tear it up of their own volition. He, too, fell to the ground. I will do it. I will. I will. I will. Others began to fall, too, and the king could not bear it any longer. He called for the guards to come and take the angel away again. Kill them, destroy them, blasphemy, heresy, treason. But the guards would not do it. They, too, had fallen to the ground and thrown their swords far, far away from them. But the king saw this and would not stand for it. He had fought for too long. His father had fought for too long. His grandfather had fought for too long. He would not yield. He took his gilded sword in his hand and stormed towards the angel and plunged the sword directly in their heart. The angel. Towering over the little king, wept, but breathed slowly and calmly. Blood poured forth into the great hall, across the ground, and the nobles and soldiers who cried and begged and wept moaned and sobbed harder as it reached them and stained their hands. The king looked up in shock at the thing, the creature, the angel, and whispered, ''What are you?'' The angel clasped a hand over the king's, still on the sword's hilt, ''I am a messenger.'' The king almost didn't dare say it. He had been told his whole life he had earned, through birth, his divine right as king, directly from the god he had been told elected him and those before him to rule on his behalf. He had believed it. But now, he wasn't sure what was blasphemy after all. Were you summoned here by God? The angel smiled and said softly, No. Who are you then? The king demanded, though it sounded a bit more like begging. I am. Me, the angel said. Who is your message from then? The angel raised a bloody finger to their lips, calling for silence. Then in the hall, a little voice. Return what
1: you've taken. Restore what's the
0: little prince, the little princess, and their mother, the queen... Each held a feather in their hand, and they all sang it softly, soon joined by the other little ones, who learned in their heart now, from their once conquered mother and their newly conquered father, the truth. What is this? The king cried. But the song continued. From each courtier, each conquered king, queen, duke, duchess in the room. Every guard. The cooks. The ladies-in-waiting. The men and women serving the food and not eating it. The king's eyes opened in frenzied panic. Hearing that song. That dreadful song all around him. And further than that, he heard it outside. Outside. Every farmer, every worker, every blacksmith, every baker, cobbler, teacher, apprentice sang it too. took the king's face in their hands and spoke unblinking you asked me where my message came from the angel pressed their lips against the king's crown and held him close the blood from their heart staining the king's face drenching him now painting him red with its endless torrents So heed my warning that comes from beyond. Beyond you. Beyond me. Beyond everyone in this room. And everyone out of it. Beyond and within. Even within you. Beyond, beyond, beyond. King or country. Beyond, beyond, beyond your wants, your father's wants, your father's father's wants, beyond that. Return what you've taken before you return to tears, blood, and bone. And the king shrieked eyes squeezed shut as his face was pressed into the creature's weeping chest, drenched in angel's blood and unable to wrap his mind around it. And the messenger, who had been summoned, not by one magician, not by one spirit, but by everyone's, perhaps even the king's silent conscience itself, disappeared. When the king opened his eyes, he stood in the hall. He was clean. There was no blood. The floor was clean. The nobles, though they found themselves weeping and kneeling, were surprised to see it. The queen, the children, no longer had feathers in their hands. The message had been delivered. It had been received. Not by all, but by enough. The king panted heavily, trying to regain his composure, while many left. Come back, you fools. Come back, or I'll punish you. They did not. Some stayed. The queen and the children walked out of the open doors. The king called the guards to stop them, But they shook their heads and left to head into town to find their own families, their own beloveds, and hold them close. And from that point, though some would not willingly or easily give up their hoarded treasure or their power over others, all had heard the message. All heard the call. All heard the song. That was what mattered. Everything after that was just another story. For another time, maybe. A time that is yet to come. Or has already come many times before. And is waiting to appear again. Maybe. I have been imagining a wheel... Lately, I know, I know, that is another card. I'm sorry, but I cannot get it out of my head. I keep thinking, still the wheel keeps spinning round and round. Because it does. Tyrants, angels, kingdoms, conscience, all of those aside, the wheel spins. And these things, these things of good, these things of evil, remain in balance. Do not give up on your messages of truth and wisdom. They may not put an end to struggle, to pain, to greed, to suffering. But they will, I assure you, keep the wheel spinning. Maybe that is where the magician comes in. And I must think on where he will take my story. If he is where my story is going, well, I am optimistic, and I am satisfied, and a little excited. Good night, my friends. Sweet dreams to you. Sleep well. Hi everyone, and thank you so, so much for listening to episode 170 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, podcaster, composer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you're well, and I hope you liked this perhaps strange, perhaps a little bloodier than usual story of mine this week. Starting with some thank yous this week. Big thank you going out to my newest Patreon supporter, Holly Deal. Thank you so much for your monthly pledge, Holly. It means the world to me. And a big thank you to all my patrons via Patreon.com. If you're interested in supporting this way, all patrons who pledge $1 US or more a month receive access to my constantly growing soundtrack, while patrons who pledge $5 US or more get that, as well as access to a monthly tarot reading I upload every evening of Full Moon. You can learn more about being a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. I'm also sending a big thank you this week to wonderful listener Q., who sent me a lovely message and a donation via Coffee.com? Thank you so, so much for your support, Q. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to make a one-time donation via the price of Metaphorical Coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more. And as always, we have t-shirts and hoodies for purchase available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Another great way to support the show is to leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. That would really help me out and is totally free to do, too. You can also leave a review on my Facebook page, just called On a Dark Cold Night. You can follow me there, as well as on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on YouTube, my channel's just called On a Dark Cold Night. And I'm also on TikTok at Kristen Zaza, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-Z-A-Z-A. Thank you so much for listening tonight, my friends. I hope you're taking care of yourselves, listening to the voice inside of you that knows what you need, and what others need, and what the world needs. I know I'm trying more and more to do that. I'm grateful for you joining me as I try. Sweet dreams, everyone, and talk soon.